Hey, welcome to Real Life Horsemanship, where we go behind the scenes of the horse industry and talk to equine professionals about what it takes to make it in the horse world. Our guest this week is Indiana Jones. Indy hails from Zimbabwe, and in recent years, she moved to Montana to start up a boarding facility. We loved hearing her perspective on what it's like operating an equine boarding facility. Thank you for being on the show, Indy. Welcome to the Real Life Horsemanship Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ava Falcon, and I'm joined today by two of my other hosts, Anna Wilson and Dana Decker. Um, And today we have a really fun guest on the podcast, Indiana Jones, the one and the only. (laughs) Woot woot, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. We might also be having Meg join in on the podcast as a host today as well. We haven't really decided. We're just going with the flow. We're just, we've had all kinds of technical difficulties prior to the episode. It's going to be a party. It's been a a stressful 20 minutes, but. (laughs) But thank you, Indy, for coming on with us and chatting with us. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It's so great. Um, we are always starting the podcast with just asking our guests how they got into horses in the first place. So yeah, give us some of your background. Yeah, so I'll give you a brief rundown. I've, I've been known to chat on, so you That's know, okay. or drone on rather. So just cut me off if you need to. But um, basically, I'm, so I'm from Zimbabwe, um, which so is cool. in Africa. And I was born into horses. So my grandmother had a thoroughbred farm. Um, and my mom was a show jumper. And so it was kind of just like something that I was born into. Well, we moved around quite a bit when I was younger. So it's kind of been something that's on and off for me um, since we left Zimbabwe. I moved to Namibia and then finally went to college in South Africa. Um, well, then from South Africa, I moved all the way to China. No horses. <laughs> I mean, there's horses in China, but, you know, for the super wealthy, I guess, and in, only in certain areas. So no horses in China for me. I was there for three years. Um, but that is where I met my husband. And that is how I landed up in Montana. Gotcha. So, and that's how I landed up where I am now. Um, his parents have this incredible property that has a barn on it. And we just we run the stables and we basically have our business and we operate it out of here. And so we've been here almost five years now. So So that's a quick summary of how I landed up in Montana. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Personally, like, I just want to know, can you, this might not have so much to do about horses, but like, I just want to know, like, what was it like growing up in Zimbabwe and what was the horse culture like there because i am like fascinated by horse culture in different parts of the world so hit me like what is it like there? so so okay so i didn't spend my whole childhood in zimbabwe but the horse culture it's like a pretty horsey place oh that's so lots of that's interesting show jumping especially like huge there um especially like starting from probably like the 80s like more importing started happening and breeding crossbreeding between thoroughbreds and warm bloods from europe um so super Mm -hmm. exciting some really good um riders you know came out of that part of the world um some really successful show jumpers um and then i would say like a lot of those people we left zimbabwe because of like a lot of political Mm -hmm. rife you know, yeah. um, 
And so we left, we went to Namibia. A lot of people who left went to South Africa. And so there's a big uh, riding community in South Africa um, that has kind of moved on from Zimbabwe to South Africa. And so that kind of didn't really die out. You know how horsey people are, you know, or, (laughs) you know, they'll always find a way. Um, And so there's that. In Namibia, though, not as much of a big horsey community. They were different. They were stables. They were people who rode, um, but just not kind of on the scale and the caliber of horses and riders. Um, But I definitely say Zimbabwe is definitely one of those like little African, those African areas where riding was definitely strong. That's so cool. And part of lots of people's lives. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. I want to go so bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting. So you you mentioned that you're running a barn right now and have been for like five or so years, but what were you doing before that? And like, what took you, you know, to school in South Africa and then to China and like all of these different places, what were you doing? Yeah. So um, I decided to go to school in South Africa because it was just kind of like normal where I was living in Namibia, there weren't really any schools. Um, and so I decided to go to school in South Africa. I studied, I did my master's actually, um, in political science and then that, I did not know that about you yeah that is and then, so cool sorry yeah sorry. no that's okay <laughs> and so I had these dreams of like climbing a corporate ladder right like this is what I was mm. gonna do and um, I struggled to find a job in South Africa because I'm not South African and so I had to like kind of what I'm struggling with not I'm really not struggling right now but the same process that I've been through here getting the permits to stay and the green card. And so Mm. it's kind of like that. Um, And I did Mandarin for a couple of years in college. And so I was like, you know what, I should go to China. Like I could go teach English there for a year and do a gap year, but I don't like just have money to blow on a gap year. So let me go find a job. Um, So that's what I did. I applied to some English teaching jobs in China. I got the job and I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And so off I went for a year and I was like, this is awesome. And so while I was finishing up my year, I started applying for corporate jobs in Shanghai and Hong Kong, um, kind of more like journalist based jobs in corporate companies. And Mm -hmm. as I was doing that, my company that I taught for, a Swedish company, reached out to me and they were like, we have a spot open in a recruitment um, team in Shanghai. Uh, do you want to join? And I was like, sure, I'll do the interview. And I went to Shanghai to do the interview. And it was like this really cool, fancy, hip office, what I imagine oh, Google nice. to be like. Yeah. <laughs> they had like free workout and yoga classes in the morning and free breakfast <laughs> yeah. and happy hours every Friday. Wow. I was like, this, I can do this. Yes. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I took the job. The dream. Um, and I was like, okay, this is awesome. And I, after my first year, I think I became like a senior recruiter. Well, I happened to meet my husband. He was also on this team. Um, and he was like, he joined about six months before me. So I don't know. We kind of kept things on the DL because we're like, we're in a corporate company. We're climbing this ladder. And then we're both like adventurous and we rode our bikes all over the place. And we just started feeling like the city life was just, we just, it wasn't for us. I grew up Mm. with animals and outside and he's just goes backpacking all over the place. And it's, just not for us and so when we came to visit his parents who had moved to Montana like maybe 10 years ago now we came to visit them for um July 4th and 
I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is where we need to move. And I kind of said it jokingly, but not jokingly. And he was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, like, why not? And so we're on the plane back to China and it <laughs> takes like a day to get back to China. And we're like, let's do it in a year from now. And so we did a year later, we moved here. Wow. Um, and we didn't, nice. I didn't think like, oh, I'm going to break into the equine industry. I thought I'll carry on with this like corporate life, but I really just want to own horses yeah. and have some livestock, like one or two horses and and now I look after 46 horses, so I feel like I did pretty well. <laughs> so what was that transition like? You end up in Montana. You know you've been around horses and loved horses your whole life. Um, how did you go from I want to own a few horses to managing as big of a facility as you manage now in the Bitterroot Valley? So it was kind of like an option. His parents were like, well, do you want to start a business here? They have a barn there's stables do you want to give it a shot or do you want to do something else with this place like you know it was we kind of had a bit of carte blanche and I was like horses 100% like there's no other way um and there was already like a, I would say it was a boarding business that was running here before but it was kind of it was like maybe a bit more private and maybe they ran the boarding so that they could support their own horses um but I was like we we can do this and it was a lot of cleaning and a lot of repairing and a lot of learning. Um, but that's kind of like, I just felt it. I always dreamt of growing up and having like a farm and having animals. And I just never thought that it would be a reality. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, here, here I am. Um, it was really tough though in the beginning. Um, it's tough still, but now I feel like we're more established and it's not as much of a challenge as it was in those first few years. Dang, that is so cool. That is so cool. I'm kind of curious. So, cool. um, so you mentioned you met your husband. So does he do horses as well? No, he had been on a couple of like, uh, what are they? Like dude ranch trail yeah. ride type mm -hmm. things when he okay. was younger. That is it. He has learned <laughs> okay. so much since we've lived here. We have... Um, Live, like we have cows and steers too and so you know we just kind of jumped straight into it he's done all the fencing he sources our hay he plows the road grooms the arenas feeds the animals like it's kind of crazy how he just jumped into it and like went all in um so I'm pretty lucky in that way that he wanted to do that otherwise I would have been lost like this is not a one-man show at all <laughs> that's wow. so cool what are some of the um you mentioned that there's challenges. Actually, before we get into that, let's talk about your business. I don't like want to butcher the name of your business because. Yeah. So like, will you tell us what your business name is and yes. where exactly you're located and just give us like a, a little overview of your business and then we'll like get into the nitty gritty of that. Absolutely. So it's Scalcaho Stables. Scalcaho Stables. Mm -hmm. And we live off Scalcaho Highway, which is, yeah, so here, just outside of Hamilton, Montana. Um, and so it is a tough word when you haven't heard it. And it, it kind of had to grow on me when we were choosing a business name. And I was like, no, nope, I like that. Scalcaho Stables. It's really um, cool. Mm -hmm. so I love that. Is it Native American? It is. Yes, and okay. I believe, I don't want to get this wrong, but I believe that it means like where the water meets 
or something like that. It has something to do with water. Mm -hmm. We live right on Skalkoho Creek. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, And then we're a boarding facility predominantly. Like that's our main thing that we focus on. Um, We have our barn and Ava and Meg, they've both been here before. Um, We have an indoor arena. (laughs) Thank you. We have an indoor arena. And then we also have actually our most popular option are our paddocks outside. Um, They're all like Mm -hmm. a third of an acre. Um, and they're private for the person who, you know, you can put one or three horses in them, depending on how many you have. And they have a live creek that runs through them and the shelters. So that's definitely the most popular option. Um, but then that's also, secondly, second to the boarding is my lessons. So I have a lesson program mm-hmm. and I teach anywhere between 20 to 30 kids. Um, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Oh my gosh. How and much so, fun is that? Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> It's, I mean, trying to find the right horses to put other people's kids on, trying to mm-hmm. keep those horses healthy. You know, you can't just have four-year-olds. You have to have like a whole string and they're all different mm-hmm. ages. And I have my geriatric guys who do one or two lessons a week and then my younger horses. Um, so there's that. And then also the training aspect. Um, that's not my main focus, but I do enjoy, like I do enjoy to take in a few young horses every year and start them under saddle and then a lot of my existing clients have me help them like I I enjoy doing that a lot so instead of just taking your horse in for training they board here and they do lessons with me and we'll kind of work through Mm -hmm. some of the problems they have or even like getting their horses started under saddle so yeah that's it in a nutshell that is so cool wow there's so many different aspects sorry go ahead a little bit about um English riding I'm kind of curious if like how you fell into that um or if you grew up doing that um yeah yeah so absolutely um that is all I know have knew before I moved to Montana so the first time I sat Mm -hmm. on a western saddle was I moved to Montana I bought my first horse here um I bought something that was like safe for my husband to learn on and then like anybody else in the family who wanted to come and ride like she's so cute she's in my lesson program now she's adorable and I bought a western saddle because I went to the saddle shop the secondhand saddle sh- I just moved here and I was like looking looking for like an all-purpose or a jumping saddle and the lady kind of looked at me really strangely so I just bought like a really lightweight western saddle <laughs> and um, so that was the first time Uh, that I'd ridden in a Western saddle. So I guess like just any kind of English discipline is more (laughs) just normal to me. Um, A lot of my students are like, they're into jumping and they love that. I also have a bunch of young kids who want to do Gymkhana. So like they're all in Western saddles and they're galloping around. And then, (laughs) you know, I have the girls who jump. So we're kind of a mixed bag over here. Did you feel like it was a big learning curve to go from English to Western or did a lot of that transfer over? Not really with like the basics is what I would say, but I've really like, it's intrigued me a lot. So, and I know Ava's gone this way too, I think, right? From English to Western. Um, I love both. And it's kind of awesome because if you just, if I'm teaching somebody for the first time, the basics are the same, whether they choose an English saddle or a Western saddle. And I try and keep a snapple yeah. bit in that horse's mouth um, and give them the same foundation. But I've really like, it really intrigued me, like all the loose rein, kind of like the different ways that you move your body and the different mm-hmm. cues. Um, so that's really cool to me. So I enjoy that a lot. Um, 
as far as like getting in a western saddle and riding like that wasn't much different other than feeling like I couldn't really feel the horse yeah once you oh it, my gosh you yeah. have a better understanding so mm-hmm. yeah I remember the first time I sat in a western saddle I was like where is the horse <laughs> I just like yeah. you know those you don't really realize how small English saddles are if that's all mm-hmm. you've ever known and then you yeah. get one of those huge western saddles up there and you're like wow this is 100% it's kind of crazy like I have some horses um now I enjoy starting any horse under saddle in a western saddle I feel like I have a lot more to grab onto and mounting from the ground you can I feel like you can like then you can drag things because you can dally them to the horn and all of that kind of stuff so I feel like it's really creates like a good learning environment for the horse and it's a bit safer for me um but there's some horses that I have that then I take them from that like my personal horses from that first you know phase of their learning and then I feel like I need to ride you in my jumping saddle like you need to learn what my leg means Mm because they're just not as reactive right and I'm like I need a bit Mm -hmm. more I need to feel you a little more so it's kind of fun going back and forth I think so too and I I think it's cool that all of your clients and the people who are a part of what you do kind of get your perspective, which is really well-rounded. So I think that that's, I think that's really special because I know as a kid, Mm -hmm. my instruction, which I am super grateful for, but it was like hardcore hunter jumper. Like there was nothing else like dressage, which I hated because I was like 12 and I just wanted to go really fast and jump big jumps. But speaking of your business, um, let's get into the nitty gritty of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier some of the challenges that you encountered when you started your business and now some of the ones that you that you still have to consider today. And I was just wondering, you know, if you could talk about how you've kind of navigated through some of that. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll start with the beginning. The beginning, it's, I'm in a small community here. Like everyone, especially the horse community here is like even smaller than the actual like you know what I mean like everybody knows everybody um it I just heard some things when I moved here like there's this girl she's from out of town she doesn't know anything don't board your horse there but you know it might have just been one or two people that had said that but you know I had heard it so that kind of made it tough in the beginning because I was like how am I going to gain these people's trust when they don't even know who I am um but I kind of just had to keep going, like keep moving forward. Like the first things we wanted to do when we moved in was get everything cleaned up before we let any new boarders in. Um, it was kind of a mess here. Um, the walls were black on the inside of the stalls. Like things just hadn't been paid attention to much. So we got the pressure washer out. Like, okay, so here we are with our savings from China, which we thought was like amazing. But then as soon as you like mention the word horses, that quickly depletes, right? So, <laughs> so we were doing a lot of stuff on our own from the beginning, like getting a pressure washer and doing it on our own and pressure washing every inch of the barn and ripping things out and, you know, re-leveling stalls and getting stall mats in and just sourcing hay, like we had no hay. And so we're like, I think five people who boarded here stayed here um, with us. And so we had these five horses that we're looking after and then the horse that I bought um but we we didn't have any hay for them so we're like oh my gosh we need to make hay contacts like we just moved to this place a month prior 
So wow. we're trying to scramble to get hay, to get shavings for the stalls, to figure out, you know, just all the ins and outs, like how to fix the tractor, how to make the fences hot because half of them are and half of them aren't, ripping up barbed wire. Um, so that kind of stuff was really tough, not knowing and not having a community yeah. to support us because they didn't know us. Like, why would they, you know, there were so many lovely people, but why would they just jump in and like offer all their knowledge to people that they didn't know? Um, so that was kind of tough. Um, early on, I met this guy who was a cow, who is a cowboy. Um, he's a character. He's great. <laughs> and he, he did he did honestly like I think help a lot in the beginning because he would take horses in for training or he had a stallion and he would um have the mayor's board here um and we don't do anything like that anymore but we were desperate we we're like we'll take any clients like right. anybody who mm -hmm. wants to get to know us and board at our facility come on over so here's this outside trainer who we don't really know but he can ride a horse really well and make cowboy things look really good and then he has a stallion um, and the, these mares are going to come on board. So that was like kind of our first income. Like this guy just needed a place to run his business out of and we needed customers. Mm. Um, so that was kind of how we got started really early. Um, funny enough, and I hope he comes on the podcast. I hope he listens uh -oh. to this podcast and then comes <laughs> on the podcast. Um, but Mustang Matt, he came to our open house. Um, so we took over in August, we had our official opening in November sometime. And him and his family came to our open house and we had like a little demonstration with this cowboy. And mm -hmm. um, we had like, you know, just treats and a tack sale. People could like peruse tack and all of that kind of stuff. And he came, we didn't know who he was. His wife filled in our little like survey that we did. Um, and so afterwards we're going through all the surveys and it was really humble. It wasn't like, I'm a clinician or I am a trainer right. or anything. Or I'm but this like, like incredible person who starts all these horses all the time that no one yeah, else can. <laughs> exactly. And it didn't say Mustang Matt either. So I had nothing to like really go off of, but I'm reading this and I'm like, man, this sounds like maybe he had like, maybe he does some lessons or, or whatever. Like I need to call this guy. So I call him, he's in California doing a clinic and I'm like, this guy's so nice. Like, who, so I start asking around, but he, he also isn't from here. So like, he's been here longer than me, but not as many people were like, you know, singing his praises yet. Cause they didn't know him maybe as well. And, um, we set up a clinic and I didn't know what to expect. And it was like, okay, so here we go. We're going to do this clinic in February. Well, February comes along and we get like three feet of snow and we have to cancel Well, postpone. So then the clinic is like for March. And we sold out and everybody loved him. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this guy, I need to meet up with him. Like, I'm just going to make him my mentor without him even knowing. Yep. Um, <laughs> I completely relate to that. <laughs> there we go. Like, that's how I started, you know, I started like doing like lessons with him. And then I, this guy started boarding his Frisians with me. And two of them were really young and hadn't been started under saddle. And he was like, I need to start these horses under saddle. But they were like unhandled. If anybody knows anything about Frisians, they're a tiny bit crazy um, <laughs> in general, um, but they're adorable. Um, but I got his help. I was like, can you help me with the techniques that you use? Like, instead of me just jumping on this horse and hoping for the best, um, you know, or on a lunge line, like teach me your ways and so that's kind of how I got into 
doing a lot of what I do now I think with like you know just training horses and starting horses under saddle but to bring it back to that sorry Matt uh, his clinics helped my business a lot too so getting him in to do clinics as well as the boarding side over because that was early on in my business and that kind of all bolstered it up to where it is now so that is so cool yeah yeah I, and then as oh sorry Karen. no 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 you're the guest we want to hear what you have <laughs> I was gonna say so that was tough breaking into mm-hmm. that as yeah. far as it still being difficult so now we have hay contact we have you know all the like with the people at the local feed store know us we get like pallets delivered to like you know we have a pretty good standing and word of mouth has helped us a lot in this valley mm-hmm. um and so reputation is important to us but it's it's not something that I'm like constantly up at night about like worrying about like what are these people saying about us we're never going to get anybody to board with us you know they they think we're not going to feed their horses like oh my gosh like how do we convince these people that we're going to look after them um but now the difficult thing is people people not horses I've realized that in this industry the horses are the easy thing (laughs) the horses are a breeze (laughs) give me a horse that doesn't have manners to come board with us no problem like we'll deal with that it's just you know kind of sorting through who boards with you um and the kind of people we want as our clientele we have amazing boarders and we're so lucky in our early days we kind of had to you know weed through some people some difficult people Mm -hmm. so I'd say that's still the most difficult part it's kind of just like you know, when you have an opening um, in one of our paddocks or our stables, like we try and be really, it's easy to be like, oh, we have an opening, we need to fill that. But you have to vet the person almost more than you have to vet the horse. So I'd say that's the most difficult part now. That's good advice. Well, like a really good perspective for people yeah. here, you know, especially in terms of a boarding business and a lesson business and a training business. Yeah. Because people like, they can be the best thing about a situation or they can be the most challenging thing, kind of like you're saying. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And just kind of like finding their flags, like, okay, this is a flag. This is a flag weighing them up, you know, constantly and being like, okay, well, are we willing to take that on as a risk? But also knowing that once, once you're a bit more comfortable, it's not all set in stone. If you say, yes, you can come and board here. Like as long as you have all the legal paperwork and contracts and all of that, like you can ask someone to leave if they're not following your barn rules, if they're dangerous to themselves or to other people with their horse, like you can do that. And that's something that only in the last year I feel comfortable with. I'm like, okay, this is our place. This is how we're going to run it. This is what everybody else who boards here expects. So if you're not going to respect that, then maybe this isn't the place for you. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious on that, like, scheme of things, like liability and all, because we have, like, a little three-star barn on our property, and you would not believe the amount of people that don't have, like, insurance, um, and I'm just like, how? How do you, how can you accept, you know, that as a risk you know you you could lose everything yeah Um, Mm -hmm. it's just it's wild you know how'd you get your in like what would would you what would your advice be indeed on that subject of like getting good equine insurance and that sort of thing 
I would say from the beginning, like, yes, it's an expense. It's one of our bigger expenses is we, okay. So the first thing we did was before we accepted any new borders, uh, when we opened was we went to a lawyer and we're like, can you help us draw up a boarding contract and a writing, like a release of liability? Um, mm -hmm. And we've been through a, diff a few different insurance companies. That is a tough thing in our industry to try and find, especially when you're running other livestock in addition to uh, horses, but also teaching and training. So like the yeah. teaching part, like the insurance is, is crazy. Sometimes you look at it and you're like, is this worth our lessons worth it? Like, I'm looking after these horses that I don't ride. They're just for my kids to ride, uh, the lesson students. Um, I'm looking after them. I'm getting them shod. I'm getting them checked by the vet twice a year. You know, I'm feeding them. And then I'm paying insurance on top of that. But at the end of the day, like, it is important because that one thing can happen. And so I, I would suggest that. It's scary, especially if you are starting real small. But we did. We started real small. And... In the beginning, I wasn't teaching lessons and I wasn't training other people's horses. We were just trying to establish one aspect of our business, which was the boarding. Right. And then once we had established the boarding, I was offering private lessons. Now, insurance for that is a lot cheaper than, you know, having like six kids in a lesson or doing summer camps. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, like there's different insurance options. So the more students you have, the package changes. Um, depending okay. on your ins insurance company, right? Like shop around. Don't be shy to shop around. Have people quote you. The paperwork is crazy. They want to know all the details. Who's in the arena while you're teaching lessons? What kind of an arena is it? What are the horses? Are there any dogs around while you're teaching? Like it's crazy, but it's so mm -hmm. worth it. And the same goes for employees. We've had a lot of people. In the beginning, it was just the two of us for like two and a half years. Wow. And that Jeez. I'm grateful that I just we just focused on small first, right? Boarding, then lessons, then otherwise I wouldn't be able we wouldn't be able to do all of this. But there were a lot of people who were like, Can I work off um board? Like I'll I'll muck stalls and we it was tough, but we said no every time because firstly we don't want our customers working for us. And secondly, you have point. to trust other people to do the work that you on the level that you're expecting, like maybe they're not going to mm -hmm. muck the stall like you would muck it or turn the horses out the way you would turn them out and be safe. Um, and then the third one was liability. Um, if we're just having people work and trade or like work under the table for cash, you, you could be held liable for so many things. So yeah, workman's comp costs us a lot, like payroll taxes. But at the end of the day, I think for like, for running a legitimate business, I think it's all worth it. Because, yeah, one thing could happen and it could all be gone. So I'm glad we talked mm -hmm. about that because I feel like that's something that like, like in the last couple of years, I think I called Matt like last fall and I was like, I think I need insurance. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I've never thought about it. You know, I, I feel like if you like just love horses, it starts from there and yeah. you're just like horses, you know, and then suddenly you're like, Hey, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that you actually have to think about. So, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And like, yeah, I just, and my own insurance, my own medical insurance, I never used to care about any of this stuff, but now I'm like, it's oh, oh. I, like, I should get better coverage <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm riding horses that no one else has ever ridden or I'm working with wild horses or whatever it is. Like, even if you're not working with wild horses or young horses, like, 
you have to look after yourself and you know you don't want to be stuck with a crazy medical bill if something goes wrong so i'm mm-hmm. kind of curious on the on the boarding part of things so why did you just end up doing the boarding first is it just to get your was it to get your name out there was it because it was um, easier like income wise to start off with and was it cheaper to do the boarding with the insurance um, I'm kind of curious of how you started out or why you wanted to just do boarding first yeah so it wasn't really uh, because of insurance or anything like that it was because okay. there was already we already had the barn built right. it was like here we had a few paddocks outside with shelters. It seemed like the obvious thing to do to just get the business started. Right. Um, I also didn't, I had just moved here, so I didn't really have like a string of horses um, or, or anything like that. I also didn't like quite see myself as a trainer yet. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. felt like, yeah, I could ride, you know, I can ride horses and right. I can maybe exercise some horses, but I didn't, um, yeah, I just didn't, see that even as an option yet at all mm-hmm. so we started with the boarding to yes to establish ourselves but also to like start getting some sort of income in um because those first few months we had like gone through all our savings we cool. the board that we were getting for the five horses that were here you know wasn't really even covering the expenses like hay is the biggest expense that we have yeah. and we go through mm-hmm. hundreds of tons a year um and so it just seemed like the obvious thing. Like, let's focus on this thing. Lesson thing, like, started happen- happening naturally. Um, I never saw myself as a teacher, even though I went to teach in China for a year. I was like, oh, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I grew up doing karate, and so I also, like, taught karate when I was in college. Um, and How many things <laughs> have you done? How <laughs> You know, people like you... Busy that are like good at so many different things just like blow my mind i'm like i can barely keep my head above the water with horses as it is oh that's not true ava Mm -hmm. and i see you riding all these horses all the time i'm like oh my gosh off she goes (laughs) cantering out in the field (laughs) (laughs) there's lots of fields where i live there's no people (laughs) that's awesome no so like i just so when I so teaching happened naturally too. I never thought okay, it was kind of like yes, let's take this opportunity. I can own horses. We can look after other people's horses. There wasn't like this grand like five year plan. Not at all. I didn't see this in five years. But the teaching happened naturally. I um, I think it was like people who lived down the road were like, oh, my daughter wants to learn how to ride, and I was like, oh, I have the, the horse. She's great. Like she's awesome. Um, she's the first pony I bought when I moved here like yeah absolutely bring her over I did not have insurance at this stage for teaching but you know it was kind of like it slowly happened and then her brother was wanted to come for a lesson and so then it like over that year like progressed from like these little private lessons to me gaining another lesson horse by chance um to being like oh maybe I I think I should start like teaching lessons like this isn't I don't think I'm like half bad at this. This is pretty nice. And now, and now, so now I have my string of lesson horses too. So it kind of just progressed in that fashion. Nice. Yeah. I mean, oh, cool. you're obviously very good at it. Like there's no doubt. And your facility yeah. is like, I can't imagine, like it's one of the prettiest 
facilities I've been in. I'm like, I can't imagine Thank what it looked you. like before because it just that like says a lot. That says a lot. You're like coming from the east. Oh, coast, east side of the country, right? Like that would, yep. yeah, that that's considered, yeah. Um, that says a lot because you guys have fancy barns over there. They did, yeah. I didn't really, you know, as a kid, if you grow up around something, you're like, oh, this is just what places look like. And now yeah. I start, now I start colts in a, in in a round pen in the middle of a horse pasture on a cow camp in Montana. I'm like, oh, you know I'm what, a- Eva? That's pretty <laughs> badass. I'm not gonna lie. I look at you it sometimes is. in your posts, and I'm like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. I think that about your posts. So, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> And I wish I knew karate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Indy, what's it been like to organize and host clinics at your place? What challenges have cropped up with that? It's been awesome. There have been challenges, yes. Let me start with maybe how awesome it is, because that's my favorite. (laughs) Um, So I love it. Like, I have participated in some. In the beginning, I didn't because I was running around trying to organize everything. I feel like I have it pretty well, you know, put together now. Um, and once again, I say all of these things about me. It's all my husband and I. Like, we're, we make a really good team when it comes to this stuff. Um, he'll get the arena ready, all, like, groomed up, any panels that are needed in there, everything set up on the outside. He's the coffee guy. He's the paperwork guy. He's the finance guy. So he does all the things. Um, and I uh, chat to everybody and watch the clinic. So, um, and I organize lunch. I feel like that's a very important part. Um, but mm-hmm. no, it's pretty awesome. Like watching clinicians and <clears throat> watching people come to your facility to learn off somebody and then walking away happy. Like that to me is pretty fulfilling, even though I maybe didn't host the clinic or even participate in it. I feel like I bought it together. And to mm-hmm. me, like that's, mm-hmm. pr- that's a pretty nice feeling. Um, we've had a lot of luck with our Mustang Mac clinics. Like that's been our biggest maybe draw for people um, mm-hmm. are his clinics. And it sounds, a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you just host a lot of Mustang Mac clinics. And I'm like, yeah, I've tried some other people. And that's when I'll talk about my challenges. But I've tried other clinicians. Um, we don't have like that many to choose from in this valley, firstly. And then it's also just tough to choose somebody that everybody's going to want in a small place like this. Right. So I feel like yeah. Matt is a really cool person to bring in because he speaks to a very large audience. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what discipline you come from. It doesn't matter what age your horse is. It doesn't matter what problem you have with your horse he's going to be able to help you. And I feel like 99% of the people walk away feeling like they learned something or they're happy, you know, if not a hundred percent. So that's been pretty awesome having that him in, in our Valley. Um, in the beginning, the struggles I would say were, and still are, is committing. So people get all excited. There's a clinic, you know, they want to come to the clinic. If you're going to host a clinic, require a deposit. And in the beginning, I wasn't super strict and I would refund a deposit when somebody gave me an excuse. And then I would be like trying to sell a ticket the night before the clinic and I'm discounting it just to fill the clinic. Don't do that. Mm. Like if you're going to have a reason, if you're going to have reasonable deadlines, you're going to have somebody where there's high demand, just make sure that you require that deposit and it's non-refundable. I have had to move clinics because of weather. 
um, because we mm-hmm. do a lot of winter clinics because we have an indoor arena. People can't ride outside. And if then somebody's given me a deposit and I've had to change the date and they can't make that new date, of course, I'm going to, you know, make a plan, um, give them their deposit back and try and find somebody else. But yeah, kind of be strict about that. Um, we have very strict uh, biosecurity measures at our barn. For clinics, we don't require like everything, but we do require certain vaccines. Um, and we've had pushback on that, especially in the beginning. That was another challenge we had. Now that we're established, if somebody wants to give me pushback, well, sorry, then then don't come to the clinic. Like, you know, you can right. come and audit, that's fine. So establish what is important to you is what I would say. And then go like, and then go from there. Like find somebody that you think is going to bring in a crowd, establish what's important to you and your facility. And then, you know, I feel like that's like the first layer to it being successful, the foundation to the success of your clinic. Um, and then other challenges were I've brought in clinicians that I haven't necessarily watched or followed or aren't in the disciplines that I'm necessarily like super interested in but other people mm-hmm. have been like bring this clinician in I've flown in some people and I've lost money really um yeah mm-hmm. and it's it and I think it depends on where you live right um, I had people who were like yeah we'll come to that clinic and firstly like when you're flying in somebody and you're putting them up in a hotel and you're doing a clinic like the price has to you know, it has to make sense yeah. to be able to pay the clinician, mm-hmm. but then also to make a bit of money as a host. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, and mm-hmm. you get all these people who are excited. And like I said, like it get get deposits because I remember doing this with, with one of the clinicians that I lost money on is I put a post on saying, who would be interested in having this person come and do a clinic here? And all these people are like, we'd be interested. Yes, 100%, sign me up. So then you organize it, you pay the guy his deposit, you get it all going, you start selling tickets and three people buy tickets and then four people buy tickets. And then that's kind of it. Right. And then like one person drops out and then, so yeah, just be careful when it comes to that is my only advice is, you know, either Mm -hmm. find somebody that you know is going to do a great job. You've watched their clinics, you've participated or you've, you know, you just know that it's going to be somebody that people in your area are going to be interested in coming to. Um, or if it's somebody that maybe you don't know as well, like get commitment from the people who want to come first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, my hat's off to you and Dana organized a clinic last year too. And my hat's off to her because organizing equine related events is so, there's so much to it, you know, like from the horses, like you mentioned biosecurity to flying people in or just getting this person paid and this person paid and then trying to make money at the end of the day. I just like, yeah, I like, Mm -hmm. I, I, that's a lot to wrap my brain. My, my brain doesn't work well in that way. So my hat's off to you. It's kind of crazy. And yeah, your clinic that, well, the clinic you hosted of, um, Mustang Matt's last year that Megan, I went to was so fun and we had a great time. I mean, I think I can speak for Meg on that one. It was like a blast. It was like so fun. Yeah, so, that was I mean, one of the most fun clinics. Like that was awesome. What a nice group of people. We didn't, so that's the other thing is I don't like overselling. I don't like having too many people, but you also want to have enough people where it's worth it, like where you're making something. Um, right. 
as a host, like really, you don't make that much, but you get your name out there. You, you do make money. And I think in other parts of the country, maybe it's possible to make even more, you know, sure. um, um, but then, and then you learn in the process, like just getting to watch all the different horses, watching you with your little Mustang, oh. <laughs> um, oh, and watching Meg and her horse, like, no, so awesome. Like getting to see all these different horses and watching them and people's questions that they have. Like it's, it's awesome. Being a host is awesome. Okay. Yeah. On, on oh, the subject sorry. of horses, actually, I've been, um, I've asked this question last week and I thought it was so fantastic. Um, oh yeah. I, I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> Just take the credit and run with it. Um, okay. <laughs> I was wondering if there, if you could talk about a horse that has like really changed the way you think or changed your life somehow, like training wise or whatever, like a really Ooh, special. That was a, that was a, I did ask a good question. <laughs> you did. You, you know what? This is actually kind of crazy because he's new to me. Um, that's, oh, but, that's so exciting and, though. Yay. Yeah, Meg Meg knows him. King John is his name. He's a Frisian. Okay. He was gifted to me by one of my clients. So that's so cool. Yeah, like what an what an incredible gift. Um, the reason that he became mine was he was purchased from Holland, shipped here to my place. Um, supposedly level two dressage. Supposedly broke, broke, broke. Five Uh years old. Firstly, that's a flag to me. But anyways, with a Frisian. Not, I, and don't get me wrong. I don't know all breeds. I don't know. I know that like I've ridden quarter horses that are four years old. And I'm like, you could literally put anybody on this horse. Right, like, right, sure. They'll take mm-hmm. you up a mountain and back if you don't know how to ride. I feel like a five-year-old Frisian is not that kind of a horse, <laughs> in my opinion. Now I've started there. two Frisians and I restarted King John um, because you couldn't get on him. Something Mm. happened. I don't know what happened, but you couldn't, you couldn't get on this horse. Um, So here I am working with him. I went to Matt. I'm like, Matt, (laughs) I just can't get on the horse. Like I'm (laughs) trying, but I can't physically get on him. Um, (laughs) You know, there's so much anxiety. He didn't, Mm. he shied away from people. Like, I don't know if it happened in training or transportation. So fast forward a year and a half later after knowing this horse, I definitely think that a lot was rammed into him really quickly. And he's sure. such a sensitive soul. Like he's not mm. necess- in many ways. He's not like the other Frisians I know. He's not bracy and hard and pushy. He's just really sensitive. Mm. And so he had this bolting problem and flighty. Like I would try and get on him and he would bolt away. So I'm having, like I have a foot in the stirrup and off the horse goes, right? It doesn't matter. Oh, he grabs yeah. the bit in his teeth and off he goes. So yeah. finally, like, I chatted with Matt and we're like, we're just going to restart him. He's not mine at this stage. I'm talking to the owner. Um, so we, we just started from the beginning, back to the round pen, back to groundwork. He didn't really have a lot of knowledge of that stuff. I didn't grow up with a lot of that stuff. So that's where like Matt came in as a godsend to me because it taught me that you could get a horse so broke on the ground before you even put a foot in the stirrup. Right. You can Mm -hmm. avoid all sorts of problems, like probably what had happened to this horse. And so Mm -hmm. um, last summer, um, the owner was talking to me and he was like, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get on this horse. And I'm riding him at this stage and I'm doing all sorts of stuff and we're on the trail. Um, But every ride is a bit different. Like we might still have a bolt here and there, you know, and like getting him comfortable with things. 
Um, but yeah, he's just taught me so much about mm. having to go back and fix things that I've never had to do that. I've never had to go and fix so much right? Um, in a horse. And so that's really helped me grow so much. It's helped me be comfortable on quite a few different horses that maybe I wouldn't have been comfortable on before. Because I'm like, if I can conquer mm. you, big black horse, then like, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> so yeah. So I'd say King John. Yeah. King John. That's mm-hmm. great. That's an epic name. Yeah. So I've been informed that we're about at wrap time. So I always get this job of wrapping I feel like such a buzzkill, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> so um, one last thing before we wrap up, we ask everybody at the end of, at the end of the interview, um, what's your like Instagram caption of advice? Just like a short little ditty that I always say that you would go back and tell your younger self. Yeah. Let's hear it, Indy. I feel Indiana like it's going like... <laughs> to sound like a cliche, but like. That's okay. When you feel like crying and quitting, just keep going. Like just, it's going to happen. You can cry. You can lay on the floor and feel like everything is a disaster, but get, get back up and keep going. Because if I just stayed on the floor, I would have still been there. Right. <laughs> that's great. I love it. Fantastic. I feel inspired. Especially that because so because cool. you came to like a brand new like you came to like a brand new country and integrated not only into like a new culture and because Montana is its own culture. I mean, it is different now, and. Uh, I mean, I had culture shock coming from Georgia to Montana. So I can't really yeah. imagine coming from living in China <laughs> in, for three years to coming to Montana. Yeah. So I just in like some really- ways, in some ways, I had more culture shock moving to Montana than I did to China. Wow. In some ways. Like wow. obviously not much of a language barrier and stuff, wow. but like just yeah, it is different. So keep going. I cried. <laughs> and I and I had moments where I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Um, but honestly, I'm just so grateful. And, you know, I just feel like I live in my own little slice of heaven. Um, even on difficult mm-hmm. days, I remind myself that. Amazing. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Indy. Thank, Thank you, you guys so for much. Having me. Yeah, it was nice seeing you guys again. It was nice meeting you, Anna. Nice meeting you, Dana. Hopefully, I'll be able to meet all of you guys in person one day. I and know I yes. to come. Mega stopped the recording, so now Ava can cuss freely. No, actually, I haven't. <laughs> oh, you haven't? <laughs> I usually wait. Now you can you know, use that. That's the line of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> you saying, no, she stopped the recording. I'm keeping that in. I'm keeping all of this in. My parents are going to cry. They're going to be like, you cuss. <laughs> my parents are going to be like, these are your friends. <laughs> Generally speaking, I'm a bad influence. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on Real Life Horsemanship. We hope you enjoyed listening to our guest today. And if you'd like to keep up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook.